Good morning, ladies. I hope that this past week was a, a blessed one. I hope that you were able to dive deeper into the Word of God and just find understanding and comfort and wisdom and all the things that your week has required of you as young women, as women, as moms, grandmas, whatever, wherever we are in our lives, there are times that we are overwhelmed, we are overstressed, we are purposely, sometimes on our own doing, distracted. Other times it's our children. Other times it's our spouses. And sometimes it's just life. And I just pray over you that you have had a blessed week, that going forward that you learn how to connect deeper, better with God through his word, through friends, through family. Um, coming into summer, a lot of us getting out and enjoying the beach. And if we don't have a beach, the lake, you know, whatever is, is available to us. Um, as a way to breathe deeper, pause, enjoy the moment. You know, life travels so quickly. Here I am going to be 58 in a few short weeks and um, am constantly amazed that I'm going to be 58. You know, most women, I guess, dread the next year, but I find myself more and more grateful for the years that God is blessing me with, as opposed to um, dreading them. You know, in all honesty, I can't believe I'm still here. <laughs> I know that sounds strange, um, but me knowing my story, it's it's not strange at all. There were many times in my life that I just didn't think I would survive. I really didn't. And so I honestly have learned to be grateful and proud of the age that I am because God has sustained me. He has kept me. <clears throat> he has loved me through some really difficult times. Even when I didn't think he was there, he was there. Even when I couldn't see him, he was there. So I have learned in my own way to celebrate. I don't like birthday parties, um, personal reasons, but in my own way to celebrate the gift of life that God has given me. So I hope that um, each of you are blessed with just, you know, life and love that God opens your eyes and shows you secrets, shows you little things that make life that much more joyful, that much more peaceful, whatever your heart needs to hear or wherever it needs to be at this moment. I just pray that, that that's what you receive from God. And with that, we'll get started.
on chapter three. I can't believe we're already on chapter three. This is going so quickly, but I'm so excited about this study. It truly is a gift from God to be able to not only write it, but to deliver it in this um, in this type of forum. Uh, this is not something I ever thought I would do. Um, you know, I've never really cared for the sound of the recording of my voice or the recorded sound of my voice because, you know, you have a different sound in your head. But, you know, God has just given me such a peace over this and uh, such a heart for women over the last few years that um, I am truly, truly honored that he would use me in this way. So with that, again, we'll get started um, in chapter three. I believe this is, yes, this is the Shulamite, the woman, um, now regretting what she has said at the end of chapter 2. Verse 1, chapter 3 says, Night after night I am tossing and turning on my bed of travail. Why did I let you go from me? How my heart aches now for him. But he is nowhere to be found. Verse 2, so I must rise in search of him, looking throughout the city, seeking until I find him, even if I have to roam through every street, nothing will keep me from my search. Where is he, my soul's true love? He is nowhere to be found. Verse 3, then I encountered the overseers as they encircle the city. So I asked them, have you found him? Where is he, my soul's true love? He is nowhere to be found. In verse 4, it says, Just as I moved past them, I encountered him. I have found the one I adore. I caught him and fastened him to myself, refusing to be feeble in heart again. Now I'll bring him back to the temple within where I was given new birth into my innermost part, the place of my conceiving. Initially, this is uh, um, the city is a picture of the local church, a place with government order and overseers. She goes to the church, from church to church, looking for the one she loves. Have you ever walked into a church and felt like it was just a building? No life in it. The people were there, but something was missing. This is kind of what I get from this part of the scripture. She is looking for home, um, seeking out the one her soul loves. And the sad part is she's not finding him. She's not finding him going from church to church. There's no presence of God in any of these places that she's looking until just past all the legalistic places all the ones that um, are bound by rituals. You know, we all say this prayer. We all kneel at this time. We all get up and raise our hands together. We all sing this song in unison. We say this, repeat this verse in unison. Um, it's very legalistic, very um, controlled. God cannot, if you have control of something, God doesn't. He's not going to, like I said last chapter, he's not going to take it from you. We have to surrender it. 
And so that's kind of what I get from that part of it. Um, but I noticed that it says he is just outside of them. I find this interesting that he is not where she expects him to be. Is he not welcome in these places that she's looking for him? Have they removed him from them? We don't know. These to me are interesting questions yet to be answered. But once she finds him, she has forever attached her soul to his. That just touches me. She never wants to be without him again. She has realized in that moment from the last chapter that she said, no, 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 you go ahead of me. I will come at another time when the time is right for me. She allowed him, she allowed that separation. And in that separation, she realized the need that she had for him. I personally have experienced in this life, this in my life, I have walked away from God various times in my life, usually over some type of hurt or misunderstanding. And, you know, anger, unforgiveness, all of that stuff kind of plays a part in there. You know, when somebody, especially somebody you trust in the church, injures you, it's really easy to take it out on God because they represent God in your life or in your mind. And you immediately, or I did immediately would turn to God and said, how could you, how could you allow them to do this to me? These are your people. Again, if we do not, give control over things that rule our lives, the other gods in our lives, God's not going to take it. We have to realize and submit, repent of these things so that God can remove them, so that God can. Now, he can protect you from them, but if you are not fully where God has asked you to be. There's only a certain amount of protection that he can give, you know, and, and also we live in an extremely broken world, you know, and, and unfortunately things are going to happen here. I don't, I, I do not believe that the molestation and the abuse that I suffered as a child, God intended for me to suffer. However, it happened. Um, and so I have to believe that for whatever reason it happened, God can use that part of my story to heal other women, to minister to other women, to speak to other women. And by me walking away, I kind of walk out from under his protection even more. So how is he going to protect me if I keep walking away from him? 
All right, let's get back to it. <laughs> um, my heart longs for and desires at this point in my life deeper and deeper connection with God. It's to me it's it's like a marriage. We where we are inseparable only we never part again. Not even in death. Cuz in marriage you know unfortunately we're human we die. But when I am connected to God my soul never leaves him. He never leaves me. And I will be with him even after I leave this world. I may depart from this world, but I do not ever wish to be apart from God ever again in my life. I cannot phrase this any clearer than I am but a shell of empty darkness without God in my life. And I think that's what she realized in this first part of the chapter that the conceiving part, the innermost part, the place of her conceiving is the deepest part of her soul where she conceives new life from God and realizing that separation and, and acknowledging that she never wants that to happen again. And now we go on to verse five where the bridegroom king responds, promise me, O Jerusalem maidens, by the gentle gazelles and delicate deer, that you'll not disturb my love until she is ready to rise. In this verse, I see the church being held back, kind of asleep, until God has ordained her to rise from her slumber, to move back into the place of grace and mercy to the people back into the light out of darkness, out of her darkness. The church had fallen out of his grace because we had walked away. We had taken our own path, added our own interpretation to his word, and we were leading people away from him. Now he is calling us to wake up, to step back into his path, into his direction and his light to begin once again to lead his people out of the wilderness and into the light. Let's read on. Verse 6, the voice of the Lord. Who is this one ascending from the wilderness in the pillar of the glory cloud? He is fragrant with the anointing oils of myrrh and frankincense, more fragrant than all the spices of the merchant. Verse 7, look, it's the king's marriage carriage, the love seat surrounded by 60 champions. The mightiest of Israel's hosts are like pillars of protection. Verse 8, they are angelic warriors standing ready with swords to defend the king and his fiance from every terror in the night. Verse 9, the king made this mercy seat for himself and out of the finest wood that will not decay. Ten 
Pillars of smoke are like silver mist. A canopy of golden glory dwells above it. The place where they sit together is sprinkled with crimson. Love and mercy cover his carriage, blanketing his tabernacle throne. The king himself has made it for those who will become his bride. Verse 11, rise up, Zion maidens, brides to be. Come and feast your eyes on this king as he passes in procession on his way to his wedding. This is the day filled with overwhelming joy, the day of great gladness. Let's pause there for a second. Okay, and we're back. This, that last part, oh my goodness, there was so many nuggets. Um, oh, Lord, help me fully describe the pictures you have given me in this passage of scripture. This one is full of nuggets to unwrap. In verse 6, it refers to Jesus' death and resurrection, the greatest gift ever given to us. The proof of love so deep that he died to prove it to us. Myrrh points to the suffering and death of Christ, while frankincense reveals the fragrance of his perfect life and ministry. Verse 7 and 8 talk about the king's marriage carriage. This is where my mind just started exploding with pictures. The love seat surrounded by 60 champions, the mightiest of Israel's hosts, are like pillars of protection. Can you see it? Ah, 60 of his biggest, baddest, toughest angels, not just angels, but warrior angels. <laughs> I would imagine that these guys, if seen with our eyes, might just make us lose control over our bodily functions. They are standing ready for battle, ready to defend the king and his fiance, his promised bride. That's us. That's us. Mmm. Mmm. That's some good stuff right there. The biggest and 60. You know, you know how many he has? He has myriads. He has innumerable. But he calls 60 of his biggest and baddest, toughest. These, these guys, I would imagine, have some battle scars that they're pretty proud of. Not proud of in a personal way, but because they did their job and they defended their king and his bride. That is us. Y'all. <laughs> the okie comes out at me in this stuff. I tell you. And I was born. Born and raised in California. But my parents are from Georgia and Oklahoma. So there you go. Um, anyway. A little side, side speak about myself. <sighs> Let's get back to it. Okay. Where did I leave off? Let's see. 
There we are. That's us. There we are. There are ever ready. They are ever ready for battle to protect and defend us all from every evil, every attack. God's biggest and baddest because he loves us so very much. He keeps nothing back from us. They defend us from every terror in the night. They stand over us. They watch over us at night. They keep us safe at night so that nothing can harm us. All our fears, they keep watch over us and are eager to defend us even in our sleep, even when we don't know, even when our minds are resting. They never rest. He never rests when it comes to us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just overwhelming? He made his mercy seat out of the finest wood that would not decay. Do you understand that this means his mercy is never failing? never ending. It will never decay, never stop, never cease. His mercy is forever, forever. Like in one of my favorite movies about baseball, the one part where they say forever. <laughs> to try and get their point across forever, forever. Ugh. Verse 10, let's move on, talks about the pillars of smoke like silver mist and a canopy of golden glory dwells above it. This, ugh. forgive me if I get emotional over this, but this, this really spoke to me. This is the prayers of his people rising to the holy throne room. Our prayers are a fragrant mist that rise to his throne room. The place where they sit together is sprinkled with crimson, Jesus' blood covering our multitude of sins so that we may sit with him. Love and mercy cover this carriage, blanketing his tabernacle throne. His love and mercy blankets us, covers us so that we may be with him. We may approach him in his throne room. Are you dancing yet? Mm, I know I am. Okay, let's finish this strong. Verse 11 he is calling us now to rise up, his brides-to-be, to come and see our king, the one our soul loves. Don't just look at him, but drink him in. Take your time to examine every detail, every facet of him as he is leading us up. Oops. 
to the wedding day. The day we finally will be joined with him for eternity. Forgive my little space there. I turned my page over. <laughs> the day the word says is filled with overwhelming joy. The day of great gladness. I believe this is speaking of our full spiritual reunion with God, our maker. A day like no other. The day we meet our God and King in person and get to fall at his feet and worship him forever and ever. This is the greatest love ever known. This is the greatest gift ever given. And I don't know if you've had children, but I remember the very first day, as soon as the day I had my daughter and my son, and I thought, I knew what love was. Because they were so perfect. And it felt like, it felt like my heart exploded in my chest. I didn't know I could love someone so much. And unless you've experienced it, it's hard to describe to someone who hasn't. I believe God allows that in us here to give us a sample of the love he feels for us. His love is so much greater than we could ever fathom here on earth, than we could ever comprehend, that we could ever understand. It is so vast, so deep, that we don't even have the words to describe it. So he gives us samples, you know, in our children, in our spouses, in friendships. He gives us little glimpses of different types of relationships that I believe give us a glimpse of him and what he desires for us. And everything in this world tries to destroy every good thing. Why? Because every good thing points us to God. Every good thing 
that happens in our lives. Even people who don't believe in God will say, thank God. Because deep down inside, we were created for that connection with him. And our soul knows, even if our minds deny it. And because of the brokenness of this world, we fight against it. Because Adam and Eve caved to the temptation, we are tempted. God did not create this world the way it is. He created a perfect world, but he gave, he gave us free will because he wanted us to choose him. He didn't want us to have to love him because having to do something is a requirement, but wanting is a desire. God desires our hearts. And in order for us to have that type of relationship with him, we have to know the difference between obligation and desire. And with that, I will end it for this week. I hope all who listen, whether it be ladies, ladies and gentlemen, young ladies, whatever your age, or I don't like identity anymore. They've kind of ruined that for me. Whoever you are, Wherever you are in life, I just speak a blessing over you for this week coming up. I ask that, I, I just say that may God meet you where you are. May you find him in the little things. May you find the love notes from him throughout your day, throughout your week, till we meet again. Till you listen again, I hope and pray that you are drawn in and you're drawn closer to God, that, that you see his love notes. Ask him, ask him to show you. He'll show you, he'll show you. And the love notes, in case you haven't heard, I like to call them love notes. They are the little moments in your day that God points out just a little something only you and he know about. Only a personal conversation that you two have had. And he shows you how much he loves you. Those are love notes. Those are real special. Those are the way he gets our attention. Draws us back in. I pray that your week is filled with love notes from him. Not that your weeks and days won't be struggle, struggling or full of struggle or issues or problems because that is life, but that in the middle of it all, I just pray 
that you find his love notes, the things that give you energy, give you courage, give you strength. Redirect your attention back to the one who loves you most. And with that, I say, have a blessed week, ladies. <laughs>